Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 351 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. So we are sort of continuing a conversation that we started last week, where last week we went loosely room by room in in our houses or like in, in the mm-hmm. typical house. And we talked about little ways to save money um, room by room, but we left out a very important room. And that is... Well, we got to the kitchen and then we stopped. <laughs> We're like, we don't have time for this. I mean, the kitchen is its whole... I would say it's like the place where maybe you don't spend the most money on any given item but definitely the most consumables, right? Like the most things are coming in and going out and being literally digested by your family. And so you have a lot of control in that room. Um, it, it like ostensibly, but it's hard to keep it under control. Well, that, and in addition, I, I would, I'm thinking about the things we talked about in the other rooms. We talked about things like streaming services and decor and clothes and kids toys and office supplies and not to be like super negative, but if a financial crisis happened to one of our families, many of those things could be slashed from the budget yep. for as a stopgap while, you know, while a family got back on their feet. Whereas the things that we consume in the kitchen, of course, food, um, but also things like water and dishes and like packing lunches. And, you know, it's, it's not arguably not very um, like expendable. Right. And I think one thing that I have also struggled with is that food feels like the kind of thing you can get completely locked down. And then all it takes is like a kid changing preferences, age, um, schedules, shifting, uh, like a lot of things like it's touchy and I'm still trying to get, we'll talk about this a little bit later. My mindset wrapped around my new lifestyle opposed to, as opposed to like the five kids, you know, the five young kids at home lifestyle that I had years ago, like six years ago, it's very different shopping the way I do now. Um, and we're all in the middle of an inflationary situation, which is complicating it even more. And and we've kind of mentioned, uh, a few times over the last few months about how incremental and kind of sneaky food inflation can be because you might, unless you're watching your budget really, really carefully, or you really have a good lockdown on like how much things cost, it might, you might not notice it the first time you go to the store and it's more, you might not notice it the second time. Sometimes the package sizes change and you're like, huh, you didn't really notice that suddenly a bag of chips that was three dollars, still three dollars, but there's like 75 percent of the chips in it. And you don't always notice that stuff right away. It takes a little while unless you're really keeping an eye on it to even notice it's happening. And then when you do, you can't unsee it. Then it's like everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You mentioned that you had a statistic or did some Mm. reading on this because I feel like inflation is one of those words we throw out. We sound sound really smart. I'm like, do we have anything to back that up? But people keep saying inflation um, and I'm just going to jump on that word. No, I actually found an article because I I like probably four or five months ago was like, wait a second now. I know for a fact I used to be able to go find ground beef 
for like three bucks a pound. It wasn't like the good ground beef, but if I really wanted to make like some cheap nachos or something, I could do that. And then suddenly like I could no longer do that. No matter how hard I tried, no, like, no matter how, you know, I was like shopping sales and I thought something's going on. Well, I wasn't wrong. My spidey sense was correct. Um, but I had not really gone to find any data to support it until this week. And here's what I ran into. This is an article that was in fortune.com. Um, it was written, I believe in January of 2022. And it says in November, the U S department of agriculture's food at home index, which includes grocery store or supermarket food purchases rose 6.4% over the previous year. And here's where it gets kind of crazy. According to the index, the prices of meat, poultry, fish, and eggs include increased 12.8%. And it goes on to say that it was driven by domestic and international demand, labor shortages, supply chain disruptions, high feed and other input costs. So that's significant, like more than 10, like all kind of, you could say closer to 15% than 10% Mm -hmm. increase on our protein. Yeah. You know, I mean, for most people who are omnivorous families, they're eating a lot of those, a lot of that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's kind of led to weird things. Like around here, we have a chicken wing shortage. I'm not sure if that's everywhere. So you told me this when we did week of real life dinners and I talked about how we often do wings as a family dinner. We call it wings and things. And you said, have you noticed a, a wing shortage? And I said, well, no, we haven't. But since then, um, our favorite pizza takeout ordering place also has wings and they were just out like they just yeah. you just didn't have them. So, yeah, strange, strange things afoot. For yes. Sure. <laughs> or a wing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice, oh, boy. Nice. Um, OK, so today we are going to talk a lot about I, I would say mostly about money saving strategies for our groceries and food consumption there are other ways to save money in the kitchen, but you know, even just last fall, we did um, a, a really fun episode on sustainability in the kitchen, which touched yeah. also on some money saving. So I think we're going to focus pretty heavily on groceries today, just because that is the lion's share of what's happening in our yeah. kitchen. And these food prices are, uh, are like on everybody's they're affecting everybody. Yeah. I, I, you know, you know, I love my disclaimers. Just, just, a Wait, gentle... I was going to make a disclaimer. Oh, hey, go, I, I, I want to do it this time. Okay. You do it. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, you guys all know we're like, we're not experts on budgeting, right? So I, I hope this is the same disclaimer you were going to make, Sarah. We did nope, not plan. I have a different one. Our dis- okay, so <laughs> here's our my disclaimer. Is, but I think this is actually a strength in this episode because there are people out there who are amazing at like coupon clipping and budgeting and like having like really nitty gritty advice for that. And I think you're going to find that we're more at the like, we're going to give it the old college try end mm-hmm. of the spectrum. So we're probably going to give you ideas you you might not have thought of, or maybe you, you've known about them because they're not rocket science, but you haven't tried to implement them in your life yet. Or maybe you haven't had enough experience shopping for a family yet to yeah. really implement them. So it's like that real life been there, done that. Um, we've tried this and that, but I don't think anyone's mind is going to be blown. Like, no, um, nothing we're going to offer up today. I don't think is something you couldn't figure out with some research. I just think it's interesting to hear how it plays out in people's real families. I think so too. And I, I often appreciate hearing uh, tried and true advice that I've heard before. But if I hear it from people I know or people I trust, and maybe we are them for you, um, then it's like, oh, right. Like there's a reason that, you know how we always say like, there's a reason some things are cliched advice. It's because yeah. hey, they work. So yeah, we'll be giving we'll be giving a lot of tips today that you've probably already heard, but maybe it's the nudge you need to, you know, get back to them in your own spending. My disclaimer was just going to be a reminder that uh, food spending is very regional and it's very Mm -hmm. values based. And so when we talk about things like um, buying organic or not, buying grass fed proteins or not, buying meat at all and, and consuming meat at all or not, just a reminder that we leave space for every possible kind of food values that may exist out in you listeners' homes that may be different from ours. And of course, that's going to trickle into spending. So, you know, I, you, you have to take it and then um, make it work or not for what's important to your family. And, and we try to do that with zero judgment for anybody else's right. way of eating and feeding their family. Absolutely. I love that we have do like dueling, <laughs> dueling disclaimers, but they do support one another. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Sarah, our sponsor, Vionic, is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. 
We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip-On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Olive and June as a sponsor. And Megan, I'm so excited about this partnership because with spring right around the corner, I love refreshing the little things in my life, including my manicure. I am the biggest fan of doing my nails at home instead of at a salon because it's convenient, so much cheaper at just $2 a mani, and the results can't be beat. It all begins with Olive and June. Yeah, Olive and June's mani system has everything you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. These are profesh tools designed just for DIY. A couple of the items included are their best-selling poppy, which makes it so easy to brush on a smooth coat, even with your non-dominant hand, which you do have to use about half the time, it turns out, (laughs) and their award-winning cuticle serum, which is so nourishing and a finishing touch I love. Well, I've been a big fan of their quick dry polish for a while now. It seriously dries in about a minute, making it perfect for busy moms. Visit oliveandjune.com slash themomhour for 20% off your first mani system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first mini system. Okay, Megan. So before we even get to actionable tips, uh, let's get real about our own uh, like Achilles heels when it comes to food spending. So I'm curious, like what are the areas of spending money on food that can get out of hand in your house if you don't keep an eye on it? And that could be anything like food waste. It could be like ordering takeout more than you'd like, buying more than you need. There's so many different uh, pitfalls. Sounds judgmental, but you know what I mean? Like what? Yeah. What are the potential weaknesses in your system where things could get really out of hand? Yeah. So I I mentioned this um, when we were in our intro. And I think for me, the biggest problem is I still haven't quite figured out how to shop for whatever family situation I have right now, which has changed dramatically over the last five years. I went from having, you know, five kids under my roof, five and many of them teenagers. Mm -hmm. And to now all the time, right. To having those same five kids under my roof half the time. Then I was down to four. Then I was back to five. Then I was down to four. Then I was back to five. (laughs) Now I'm down to three. (laughs) But those three kids have also gotten older and now they're off doing their own thing. So like they have jobs and friends and they're not always home for dinner. So like all that fluctuation has made my ability to control what's happening difficult. Yeah. And um, I used to be great at like, I would just cook, you know, three big meals a week, let's say. And then I would just keep serving the food over and over until it was gone. And, yeah. and it was like a really effective way to manage waste, to manage mess, like the mess in my fridge. That's all like out the window now because I have the kids. Some weeks I have them two or three days. And some weeks I have them five days. Mm-hmm. So I keep going back and forth. But on the weeks that I have them five days, there could be like one kid gone two nights or the weeks that I only have them two or three days. I might have Will at the house because he's got, he's working. So he doesn't always go to his dad's on the days the other kids are. So he's like needing to be fed, but it's just like one person needing yeah. to be fed and I'm not cooking a big meal. It's all over the place. So I am now finding we're throwing stuff away again, um, which drives me crazy. And I really hate doing that, but I just haven't quite gotten it under control yet. And I might just not like it. That's one of those things where it might just be constantly fluctuating until I guess they're all gone. Mm-hmm. Um, the two other things I have, there kind of hard on myself is that I always forget to plan. I have a menu board on my fridge. I've had it up there since uh, the week I got separated or the week that we told the kids we were separating. Like as soon as that happened, I started keeping a board that said when they were with me, when they were with their dad, and it would have 
like the meals Mm -hmm. on it. And I've consistently forgotten to plan for myself. So like I'll get to the Wednesday they go to dad's and I'm like, oh, but I still have to eat. Right. And then it's like, did I leave myself any leftovers? Did I leave leftovers I actually want to eat? Or did Tuesday night I made something that was really for the kids and not even really for me. And so now I've got leftovers I don't want, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's that can lead to like, um, I think I've gotten better about this, but that can lead to going out to eat too much. I definitely went through that for a while. I also do a lot of like specialty shopping because I really love a good fancy cheese shop or a boutique Mm -hmm. shopping experience, like a little fresh food market. And that stuff can kind of get out of hand too. So I, I feel like it's actually feeding me. That's the Mm -hmm. problem at the moment. And also just dealing with the fluctuations of um, kids in and out of my house. It's just, it's really unpredictable right now. Yeah. 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 Um, so the, the weaknesses that come to mind, um, takeout is, has become a big one and maybe it's a mindset shift that I need to make. It feels like to order takeout. First of all, we never used to do it ever. Our kids were little. We would just make some Mac and cheese for them and like heat up some leftovers for us. We weren't a big order in takeout family. Then the pandemic happened and supporting local restaurants and, um, ordering takeout were both uh, felt like a way to support local businesses, but also we weren't going out to eat um, right at all. So it sort of like substituted that. Okay. Well now fast forward, my kids are large. They eat a lot. They have real tastes and more expensive tastes. And to get like a DoorDash situation for my family costs a number that I don't even want to say out loud on the podcast. Like it when is the, ridiculous. it's ridiculous. It's <laughs> yes. like, well, we could have gone out to like a nice restaurant or like something. This is so that feels gross to me for like just and again, a lot of this is emotion and values based. So just for me, it feels exorbitant to order takeout for my family. That said, I want to be a house where the occasional pizza night or surprising the kids by saying we're going to get takeout and supporting local restaurants is it, that does feel good. So I, I would say I feels like I need to get clear about the, both the options when it comes to takeout so that we can do it on occasion and not have that really yucky feeling. Like I just spent $150 or something like ridiculous. Um, and then also just like clarify what is important, like which, which value wins in this case. And maybe it's a mindset shift. Like I said, well, what I was going to say is, um, A, I hear you on DoorDash. I, in my limited experience, I think DoorDash's fees are the most exorbitant. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I had a conversation about this, like way early pandemic, about how a lot of businesses wouldn't even work with DoorDash because yeah. they were not prepared for the amount of money DoorDash took. And like the business model is really not very pro small business. That yeah. might have changed. Yeah. They may have changed their policies, but that at least two years ago, that's what I was hearing from my local community. And a lot of places in my local community were coming up with their own options that mm-hmm. were much more affordable and better for their, for them, yeah. like better for their people. So there's that. And if, and if you look at it that way, it's no different than having pizza delivered to your house where there's always like a delivery charge and a tip along with it. It's just that when it's so much money, yeah, um, it just feels ridiculous. And I had an experience not too long ago where Owen was like begging for Taco Bell. He'd been begging for Taco Bell for, I don't know. It's like his favorite vice. And mm-hmm. I finally said, Honey, you can have it tonight, but I, I honestly don't have time to run out and get it. I think maybe maybe we had a meeting like late in the day or something. And I was like, look, this I know DoorDash is not something I like to do, but I'm just going to let you go ahead and DoorDash. You can get Taco Bell. So I gave him my credit card and I came back down after finishing up whatever. And he and I said, did you order? And he said, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Oh, my gosh. He said, did, do you know how expensive this is, mom? And I said, well, yes, that's why we don't do it. And he said, I just couldn't. He's like, I couldn't do it. It was just too much. So if you don't want to go, we'll just make something else. I was oh like, gosh, wow. So even my 16-year-old. With your credit card. Like with he, my credit like card. Didn't didn't have to, it wasn't like his anything. own money. Yeah. I know. He just, like, on principle, he couldn't. And I do also think, just one other thing to kind of round that thought out, if that's your only option and you really do have to pay that really hefty fee, the way I've kind of made peace with it, like, every now and then when that happens, is thinking of it almost like some kind of like buying the thing that you can just buy in a mass quantity and have for days. So like mm-hmm. a big yeah, thing a of lasagna mm-hmm. or something, right? Like it's not like a 
everyone's getting their own individual $10 meals. Right. Which is the stage of life my kids think they're in. Like we're in this weird stage where like, yeah, their appetites are bigger, but they are in this, in this area, they are a bit entitled because they've had a taste of what it's like to like, you know, go order a burger and fries at a restaurant or whatever. So it's like, it's been really hard to get that toothpaste back in the tube with the, as they've grown and their, their appetites and tastes have expanded. So, yeah. 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 Um, another one that's I'm sure people can relate to is just inventory management. So I, I think food waste, we tend to talk about proteins, the, the stuff that goes bad, like proteins and fresh produce and stuff. I actually think in my family, one of our weaknesses is shelf stable inventory management, things like condiments, salad dressings, um, dry goods. And and part of it is the same children. I am throwing my children under the bus, not more than a little <laughs> lovingly, bit. Lovingly, lovingly under a little the bus. Bit here. Um, they are older. They're quite opinionated about the way they like their food. And the cool part is they're much more, they experiment much more, like they try new things, but they like, they have really specific opinions about like what type of hot sauce. Well, someone likes this type of dip and someone likes this type of guacamole. And it, it makes, and then we, we've just like gotten into the habit of filling our cupboards and our fridge with everyone's favorite things. And again, this, like, as, as I'm listening to myself, it's possibly just like, uh, Sarah needs a little bit of a mindset shift, but it does, it does involve more spending because we are often buying one kid's type of salsa and another kid's like shape of pasta that they really like. And you know, when I look at the cupboards, it feels like, gosh, there's a lot of redundancy here. And when you get into redundancy, as everybody knows, it's very hard to keep track of what you have. So like that minimalist part of me wishes like, okay, burn it all down. Well, this is the type of noodles we buy. This is the type of red right. sauce we buy. Um, and I think that's, it is directly related to uh, the bottom line because we end up buying more and then losing track of what we have, which then leads to buying more. I remember going through a stage where Owen only really wanted, I believe it was, I'm pretty sure it was Owen. He's got very specific preferences. I think he only wanted the wheel-shaped pasta. <laughs> and that's just a really specific it's pasta very shape. specific, yeah. So I believe that became like a, a, a rotating kid's choice thing. Mm-hmm. Like you only got to pick the pasta shape like every third week or something. <laughs> like it was somehow part of the rotation. And the kids got really good at remembering. Now I feel like they've all kind of come together on certain preferences. They've all like solidified around them mm-hmm. and have. And I think that that's something that happens in families as the kids, as like one kid gets older and becomes the more of the leader. Mm-hmm. It's like they get to dictate what the family's preference now it has mm-hmm. become. Okay. And I've really benefited from that now with like legit teenagers in the house. Right. Like Will kind of runs like. He sort of tells you, he's the taste maker. Let's he's just like, we get way. Tostitos. That is the type of chips we get. End yes, of story. Exactly. Thank you for and coming for kids, my TED talk. <laughs> and the other kids kind of go along with it. They're like, oh, right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We yeah. totally agree. You're very wise. <laughs> wise old we, sage, have, so. we have a running joke that like as mothers and I do this and my mom does this, like we can never remember who likes what, like I, my brain is too oh. full to remember like who like, so I'll like put out pineapple for like to cut up for the school lunches. And this, the one kid will always be like, mom, I don't like pineapple. I've told you. I'm like, I, I can't, I don't I know. I cannot two out of three, like everything. That's like the best we get in my family is two out of three agree. And then there's an odd person out, but it's, I, I cannot keep track. I'm sure you can't well, either. And no. And, and my kids get like kind of offended by it. Like I told <laughs> yeah. you so many times, I don't like mayonnaise on my sandwich. Like, I'm sorry. Do you ever see how many of you there are? And then with the other thing is them outgrowing tastes and then not really outwardly telling me. So the other day, Owen used to always be my melon and cucumber eater. He loved melon. Like he would come home and go through a pile of melon. And if I ever sliced up a veg, like a soft veg, he would eat it. And so I had sliced up a cucumber and had it sitting out and he's like, Oh, Hey, a cucumber. And I I said, Oh, that's for you. I was so proud of myself. I was like, I know how you love cucumber. And he said, mom, I'm not really into the cucumber thing anymore. And I was like, what do you mean you're not into the cucumber thing? Like, is, like it's that that world, that cucumber life. It's not for me. Yeah, I've outgrown I, that. I've outgrown that. Like, you know, I like that journey for you, but not for me. I, I was just like, okay, well, it's already cut. Can you just eat it? Right. And then I'll try to remember not to buy it for you again. But man, it's been like 10 years I've been buying you cucumbers. So like, it might take a while. Reframe, re- rethink my entire last decade. Exactly. It, it just reminds <laughs> me, I'm not going to remember where I saw this recently, but it's like a classic thing that people make fun of 
Americans for is like you walk into our grocery store and there are 47,000 types of salad dressing and you get just to the ranch section and there are like 16 different varieties of ranch and 12 Caesar dressings. And um, I just think my my house has become a little bit of that cliche is that the the children know how many options there are. And um, yeah, it does. it, It impacts the bottom line. And there are parts of me that just wants to like, like I said, burn it all down and start back with like a generic one thing of everything. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So then one more kind of like set the stage question here and I can go first, but let's just both talk about what is the actual method by which we track our food spending if we do. And I think it's okay to just say like, well, I just kind of keep an eye on it or I, I don't track it, but there's many ways as we know, um, from spreadsheets to apps. Um, and so let's talk about how we keep an eye on our food spending. Um, and for me, it is definitely more in the like spidey sense category rather than like a formal process. But one thing that helps is I do the weekly grocery shopping at Trader Joe's. I have done that for many, many years, same store, same frequency about once a week. Um, and so I have a really good sense for what a typical haul is going to cost. And like, if I, if the number that they announced at the register was like more than usual or less than usual, I I can almost drill in on why very quickly. Like we don't, I don't buy a lot of wine at Trader Joe's, but if I picked up a couple bottles of wine, that's going to make it a little bit more. We don't get very many of our proteins there because we do butcher box, but like if we did, that would make it more or less, et cetera. So I would say um, the consistency of the place and the frequency and the fact that it's always me means that I just have a good sense for what that weekly number is. Um, I also try to, this is just a personal preference, but I really like having a separate grocery store, uh, which for me is Trader Joe's, rather than a Costco or a Target or a Walmart where you might be getting like shampoo, toilet paper, like you've, you've talked about your CVS. Like it, I just have found that clouds my, um, that clouds the spidey sense since I am not relying on like an exact breakdown line by line. It's confusing to me if I go spend a couple hundred bucks at target and you know, half that was groceries and the other half was like furniture and decor or something. So it's, (laughs) it's felt simpler to me to have a dedicated grocery trip once a week. Um, and I was actually just listening to, didn't I just feed you an older episode of theirs where their Megan talked about actually saving her grocery receipts for, I think just a limited period of time. And I really liked that idea because it feels like it would take, take this general sense that I have and put some hard numbers behind it. Because even when you think you have a pretty good sense, you know, we can be wrong. Doesn't mean you have a totally accurate picture of what's going on. So I might actually implement that if I changed nothing else. I think saving those receipts for a few weeks would be very informative. Yeah. How about you? Um, well, I, first of all, I am completely on board with like keeping groceries, groceries and other items, toiletries and paper products and things like that separate, because that is one of those things that can, you know, I'm not buying toilet paper every single week, for example, right. or sometimes I need it midweek. Right. So if I was mixing that in with grocery shopping, it would be on a different interval. And I would, I have in the past done that and it, I find it very difficult to keep track of. So, um, I'm team separating those out as well. And I would say that I go through phases. Sometimes I am like a hundred percent in my ship shopping phase. And sometimes I'm like, no, I think right now I just have a little window in my, um, in my, but or not my budget in my schedule or it's summer mm-hmm. and I don't mind carrying groceries in as much right now yeah. because it's not cold out. Like I find that I go through like seasonal stages, waves um, how much like my kids are available and around to help with things during the day in the summer. It's more, I've got more grocery haulers. Like some of those things kind of subtly play into how the, those, um, routines work out. The thing that helps me the most though, is the same routine. So mm-hmm. when I'm in my hundred percent ship shopping routine and I'm every Monday have a shipped order getting dropped off, I'm going back and looking at what I bought last time, how mm-hmm. much it cost. Um, I'm really replicating orders week to week. I might swap out the proteins or like, I don't know, have a different grain with dinner or something like that, or different veggie, depending on what's on sale. But the bulk of it is exactly the same week to week. Now, absolutely. When I shipped shop, I spend more because I, everything costs more. There's like a fee associated and I tip, I tip really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, I have a hundred percent clarity around what I'm getting and what it costs and what parts are repeatable. And there's zero impulse purchasing. 
So I actually don't know if overall it costs me more than if I was running out to like the local supermarket to do my shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely more than if I was shopping Aldi every single week, but I find that hard to do anyway, because there's usually stuff that I need to go elsewhere for. So I, I feel like it helps me keep a really good handle on things, um, even though it's not the cheapest option. Mm-hmm. So even in person, though, like the kinds of like the kinds of impulse shopping I would do tend to be more things like, ooh, I feel like making this um, fun dish and I don't have any of the stuff or any of the spices or the special oil or like this, the pine nuts or whatever. And and then I end up like randomly spending on this one meal, but that yeah. might only happen every now and then. Or like I mentioned before, going out and getting the special cheese and the fancy crackers and things like that. And that doesn't happen all the time either. To me, those are almost entertainment costs. Yeah. Like yeah. they almost have nothing to do with my groceries. They're like a separate thing. Or if I'm like, oh, I'm going to run out and get the kids sushi. I don't do that very often. Um, but when I do, it's like I, I do it knowing that it's outside the norm. And I am doing it separately from my regular grocery shopping so that I, I don't somehow internalize that. Oh, now this is how much I spend. Right. Right. I'm still only spending the amount I need to spend. Um, and I've gotten much better about getting everything I need in one trip and not having one of those like middle of the week run out to the grocery store and how did I spend $75? I yeah. thought I was just picking up milk, like yeah. one of those. So I don't know. I think that it's one of those things that it works while it's working, but every now and then I will be like, oh, it's time to buy a 30 pound de- you know, bag of dog food. And I'm gonna grab it at the grocery store, even though usually I'd go to a different store for it. So now my, my you know, my receipt is off and why. Yeah. And I, I'm not great. I don't really budget going forward for groceries. It's more retrospective and I could probably be better about like actually using those numbers mm-hmm. to mean something like I know them, but they don't, they don't mean anything. Right. Well, yeah. and back to the rising cost of the rising costs of food. Like we said, it, the creep is a lot harder to pin down when it's happening gradually. And it sounds yeah. like both of us are using that like um, that just kind of mom sense about yeah. it, which it can be really, it can serve really well. Um, but it's limited in that, like yeah. if there's a 2% creep every two months and then all of a sudden, like we're at that 12.8% that <laughs> on yeah. our meats and stuff that that was like, Whoa, what, what happened? So, well, yeah. and it's easy not to notice it for a while. Um, like you said, for, but for a few reasons, so I can have a weird, um, like a weirdly accurate memory for very specific numbers. So I'll get it in my head say that I can get a chuck roast for $3.89 a pound if I watch for sales. And then maybe that doesn't happen for a while, but I wasn't eating chuck roast for a while. For whatever reason, I was buying something else um, or they just never went on sale and I just didn't pay attention. And then, like I said before, like one day I'm like, wait a second. It's been like a year and a half since it's even been under $5. Huh. Something is going on, right? So it's, it, but that's like a lagging indicator. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. It doesn't tell me what I need to know that on that shopping trip. It's right. like four shopping trips later when I'm realizing, man, it's been a long time since I've seen uh, eggs on a, on a decent sale mm-hmm. or milk at a price that I thought wasn't ridiculous. So there's that. And, and another thing that's, I think, telling for like the way I shop and the way it plays out in my family is that um, how overall food spending works in my family is a lot less tied to what I spend during the trip and is much more tied to like how efficiently we use what I buy. Yeah. I'm totally okay spending a little more if it all gets eaten happily. I agree. But if I'm, it doesn't really matter how much I'm spending if I'm throwing a bunch of it away or, you know, then I feel bad about it no matter what it is. So it's all, those are all indicators that I could be planning better. Yep. I co-sign those, that last comment, especially, um, it's very similar to how I feel. Sarah, our sponsor Haya is back on the show today. And I just really love this company. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk. Most parents don't really want their growing kids eating. That's why Haya, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin, was created. That's right, Megan. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern kids' diets to provide the full-body nourishment they need. And Haya vitamins have a yummy taste kids love, too. So we were just talking to Katie on our team, Megan, and she was saying that when they get down toward the bottom of the Haya vitamin bottle, her boys are fighting over who gets the last one. 
Oh, I love it. And I also love that Katie can feel good about that, right? Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door. So parents never need to worry about running out. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right. So we are back. And hopefully last week, everybody saw that on our blog at themomhour.com, our contributor, Sarah Lindbergh, had an awesome write-up of budget resources that she has used. Some of them were Instagram accounts. Some of them were podcasts or apps that she uses. I learned a ton from that post. So that led me to a little swipe through Insta post, Megan, that I thought we could just use as a framework for this part of the episode. Um, and this is this is recent and specifically budgeting tips to address recent food uh, price increases. So this is exactly what we're talking about today. And like you mentioned at the top of the show, a lot of these are tips that we've all heard before, but some of us are wanting to refocus on. Um, so, and we'll of course link to this. It's an Instagram swipe through at the budget mom is, um, her handle, but here are the tips meal plan, because it turns out when we have a plan for the week, we waste less <laughs> food and we can actually plan to spend accordingly in those areas. Shopping generic. I could be way better about this, like not needing those name brand, um, you know, name brand things. Um, doing like a weekly $5 dinner was, was her suggestion. I think that could be any weekly challenge where you decide that like one night a week is going to be, you keep it under a certain dollar amount or you go meatless or whatever. Um, utilizing leftovers. I know we're going to both talk a bit about that. Um, being mindful about proteins. And this is something I've heard you talk about, Megan, that could, that could mean eating less protein overall. It could mean doing a meatless night. It could be just like having the meat be less of a main star of the meal. Um, and then she recommends watching those weekly sales, like the weekly flyers can can really be effective. Um, and then just kind of the last couple of tips are more mindset things about being realistic about what you're actually going to cook and eat this week. Um, and also being realistic about the cost of food so that maybe it's maybe we acknowledge that there is going to be a bump up in our food budget while we ride out this inflation bubble that we're in. And maybe there are other areas of our budget that we could actually, you know, tackle, you know, tackle or do yep. something about. So that was kind of the overview of the little slide through. And I'm curious if any of these jumped out to you as things that either you are already doing well or that you'd like to do better. Um, I think all of these things are things I've either done or like I'm either doing now or have been part of my budgeting you know, process in the past. I think it's interesting that when you and I were like making note of our tips and things that we'd share, I didn't mention meal planning because now like meal planning has become such an essential part of how I run my whole life. Mm -hmm. I don't even think of it as a way to save money anymore, but it completely, if without it, all I would do is go out to eat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's become so second nature for me that I don't think of it as like a tactic anymore. Yeah. I just think of it as what I do, not only for money, but to just make my life run better. But that's like the beginning. It is. The meal planning is where it all starts, right? It is. Absolutely. Um, that's one where I've, I've shared on the podcast that Brian and I have gotten way better about meal planning in the last few years, um, since the pandemic, probably since he's been home more to actually cook the dinners. Um, but what we're not great about is meal planning. Like it's, I feel like we have like an 80, 20, like we get 80% of the way there. And then they're just still feels like there are some last minute decisions, like those expensive takeout nights and stuff. So it's just an area I feel like I could always be a little better in. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we could just go down this list cause they're all great tips. Yeah. In generic, that's one of those things too, where that does not anymore have to be any kind of a sacrifice really. Like every major grocery chain has their own store brands. Mm -hmm. And most of them are sourced like 
right alongside or sometimes from the same manufacturers mm-hmm. as the brand names. And like, they're good. You know, my kids like to make fun of the, the silly cereal names that sound like they're ripping off like <laughs> the commercially, like the brand names, but they're, you know, they've gotten really good. It used to be like when I was a kid, remember those white boxes with the black letters? No. The generics really looked generic. Okay. It was like you would, they almost went out of their way to make them ugly or something. I don't know what it was, <laughs> but it would literally be just like a white box with black letters. And that was like no pictures. Okay. Nothing. That was the generic. Um, and now they have their own branding and they're yeah. really cute. And I mean, and I, we can thank places like Aldi mm-hmm. for making it cool to shop store brands, which yeah. generic and store brand are like the same thing. So well, I was going to, I'm glad you said that because I was going to jump in for those who aren't Trader Joe's shoppers, but it's one of the things that is really like removes the mental gymnastics of when I, of shopping at a place like that is everything is Trader Joe's brand with a few exceptions. Like they have some of the yogurt, they have some yogurt brands. There are a few things where you you will recognize a non Trader Joe's brand, but very, very few. And everything is very reasonably priced. So you're not looking. I remember looking at the big box grocery stores at like that price per ounce because the pricing yeah. and the size gets so confusing. So you're like, okay, I need an apples to apples comparison here. And it just can be, it can be overwhelming. So I appreciate that about like a, almost a whole store that is generic or that at least has removed those choices. But where I could be better about shopping generic is those like, is more of the paper goods and things like that. It just is like, it's just a retraining sometimes. Um, but yeah. yeah, I totally agree. Well, and sometimes you do have to do a little trial and error. So, you know, there's been times when I'm thinking, okay, I just don't trust this generic brand, the store brand of, I don't know, toilet paper mm-hmm. or the store brand of um, something I've never tried before. I don't know what it is. And sometimes they're not a total win. Like I'm still a little bit particular about peanut butter. I'm mm-hmm. still a little bit particular about a few things, but most of the time they're fine. So mm-hmm. you do sometimes have to do a little trial and error. And then if you don't want to waste, if you don't want to waste it, then find another use for it. Like right. whatever the thing is that you've got, Sarah, I just sent you a picture on your Voxer. You have to look at it right now. We have to put this in the show notes. I'm pulling it up. This is legitimately what generic packaging used to look like. I don't know how I missed this. Okay. And, well, maybe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that it's. we'll share it in the show notes. And it was truly like, like if you walked out of the store with your cart full of that, it was embarrassing. Sure. It meant like your family is poor. Yeah. And, you know, I remember at times like my mom going, but they're the same. But I like I am not checking out with you. I'm going to be <laughs> hiding in the like frozen section. Oh, my, oh my goodness. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, OK, what about this weekly five dollar dinners? Is this ever something that you have tried or would try? I'm intrigued. So I wouldn't say that I've ever gone like I've never kind of like put it quite like that. I yeah. do remember early blogging days. There was, I think there was a website called $5 dinners or $5 meals or the $5 mom, something like that. And so it was like a bloggy challenge thing. Yeah. And so sometimes I would like look at her recipes and go, yeah, I can make that. And I had the recipe, uh, I had the book $10 dinners that was written by Melissa D. Arabian, who is mm-hmm. on the food network. And I still re- refer to that book because it is good ideas for just like putting out a really inexpensive meal. I think often those $5 dinners are aimed at families of four, which I have not been since, I mean, yeah. I don't even remember. It's yeah. been decades. Uh-huh. So um, I think for me, instead of thinking of it like as a $5 dinner is more like tonight, we're just going to have a super cheap meal. And so yeah. for us, that might look like um, ZD with like, so you've got a, you know, a packet, like you've got a thing of ZD noodles. You've got a tube of, so- of Italian sausage. Mm-hmm some tomato paste and tomato crushed tomatoes mm-hmm. and some mozzarella cheese. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's basically less than $10 usually depending mm-hmm. on how much everything else costs. And that will feed all of my kids for two days. Yeah. So I think of it more like that, not so much like I'm setting up to spend $5, but like one day this week, we're going to have a really cheap meal and it really does go a long way to spread the costs out, you yeah. know, like over the week. So yeah. Yeah. And I, I haven't really ever thought of it in these terms either, but I know we're going to talk about food waste and leftovers next. So for me, what it would more look like is we are cleaning out the fridge and eating everything that already exists, even if that looks like a, like a really weird hodgepodge. So we're pulling out, we're cutting up fruits and veggies for like a cheese platter. We're cutting up like that last bit of cheese. That's still perfectly good. But why is it still like 
why, you know, why is like two ounces of this random kind of cheese sitting in there? So it's more using what we've got is kind of how I've framed like doing a cheap, a cheap night. But I, I do really like the idea of, um, almost from a culinary perspective, like what are the meals that our family really enjoys that truly cost very, very little. So I'm going to keep thinking on that one. I think that would be a good challenge for us. All right. Well, leftovers are one of my favorite things. I don't, I don't have a problem <laughs> using leftovers cause I love leftovers, but you talk about how this has worked as a budget strategy for you over the years. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to my point yesterday, if in, in, or my point yesterday, my point that I just made yesterday, <laughs> we've, been, we've been recording for hours, have we been recording for 24 hours. So what I was saying about, you know, making like something like a, like a big dish of ziti and then eating it twice. I actually find that sometimes the most cheap, the least expensive meals are also the ones that are the easiest to repurpose as leftovers. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because Anytime you slop a bunch of stuff together in a dish and melt some cheese on top, it's usually pretty cheap and people want it again the next day. Whereas like, I don't know, steak might just not quite, it it doesn't have quite the same appeal two days in a row. Another thing that we do leftovers like crazy is pork shoulder. And that's really inexpensive. Um, And you can have like a pork shoulder one day, it's just pork and veg. And then the next day it's carnitas or pork tacos. And then the next day it's barbecue sandwiches. And like, you can really stretch it out. And it also wasn't very expensive to begin with. So that's an interesting um, connection mm-hmm. between already sort of budget meals and the ability to utilize those leftovers. But I also just like to use them for the point of it. I, I actually mm-hmm. get a kick out of having a restaurant meal and taking just like a little bit of it home and mm-hmm. thinking of what I can do with it at home. Mm-hmm. Um, is it going to get mixed up into like an omelet? Mm-hmm. Is it going to get, and that's like fun. It's like a hobby. Yep. It's not really, I mean, if I'm ordering a restaurant meal anyway, I'm either going to eat it or I'm not. It's probably not going to make that much difference in my overall food budget, but it's like on principle. And I know you and I both have strong feelings about food waste. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. How about you? Um, well, so I guess I want to talk about the flip side of leftovers, which is that as your family grows, tastes change, kids eating habits change, what they bring for lunch or don't bring for lunch change. One thing I have noticed is the um, magical thinking about leftovers can actually be just as much of a trap as leftovers are on the other side, an opportunity. And we have definitely fallen into this of like, oh, let's make a big thing of pasta with red sauce or pasta, you know, buttered noodles. And then, you know, Violet will take some in her lunch and this and that. And then really I have ended up sometimes with leftovers that nobody is eating. So I just Mm -hmm. think it's, it's always good to evaluate like, leftovers are a great way to stretch one meal into many as long as they are actually getting eaten. But what (laughs) I have noticed is sometimes in our house, we make more thinking how great it's going to be to have leftovers and then nobody wants the leftovers. And then that That, is, you have done the opposite, right? So um, we found ways around that. Like when we do, we do burgers about once a week, cheeseburgers, and um, we do cook them all up and save them. And there are some people in my house who will actually just eat a leftover cheeseburger, microwave it, like put some ketchup on it and eat it. Other times you will not. I'm not one of those people. I don't really love a leftover burger either. You and I both like, yeah. But um, (laughs) the other day I made quesadillas with, um, we were doing quesadillas like you know, however everybody wants, like make your own quesadilla, DIY quesadillas. And two of my children ate basically a cheeseburger quesadilla, which sounded so gross to me. But I, I took the very chilled patty that already had cheese on it. It had been grilled with, you know, I'd already had the cheese on it and I chopped it up really, really tiny and threw some additional cheese in there and they were so happy. So I guess with leftovers, it's continuing to stay on top of creative ways to use them so that they actually get eaten and not just so that they're like, this thing you have in your fridge so you can say you've had you made enough for leftovers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a big difference between making more of something than you think you usually would eat because you think everyone's going to want to go back for seconds and, um, making something that just kind of naturally is more than your family would eat. Does that make sense? Like, and then figuring out either, um, creative ways to repurpose it. So it doesn't look like Mm -hmm. leftovers, which we've talked a lot about on the show before. Like, taking that protein and serving it with a different side or, you know, taking the meat and chopping it up in little bits and mixing it up with rice. Like it it seems like a whole new thing, but it's actually a leftover, right? It's like, we still have to do a little creative work 
to transform it if it's not the kind of thing someone's likely to go back for. Another thing, I do this a lot with breakfast type foods, is um, it's not exactly leftovers, but it's sort of like, I'm going to make this and then just leave it sitting out all day and you all can just eat it Mm -hmm. as you walk around. So that would work really well with something like like waffles Mm -hmm. or even sausage links. I mean, those things are like preserved within an inch of their Mm -hmm. life. And once they're cooked, I will leave them sitting on the island and people will just eat them as they walk by. Like, and then at the end of the day, if they're all gone, I'm happy. Like, I'm not going to be mad because the kid ate it standing up instead of sitting down at breakfast. Like we all sat down. Maybe it didn't get finished, but now this food is just, it's just out and eat it. Once it gets put in the fridge, if you don't have a plan, it's death. Yeah. I think that's, that is my point that there's got, there's still an element of planning to really make those stretch. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about proteins because I would really like to be a family who eats a little less from the animal protein department. And yet we are not. So this is an area where I'm probably just at odds with the other adult in my house. Um, but I know a lot of families are doing meatless Mondays or making, making animal proteins, like the side show, not the main thing. So have you done any of this? No, not really. Maybe like maybe back in the days I, I when I was making a lot of like stews and chilies and um, soups and the, the goal was to have like a pot of soup that we could all eat for two days or a mm-hmm. pot of chili. I would do things like double the beans and like cut down on the meat. Um, right. That would really help the, keep the, the price budget under mom control. like has that exact same example that yeah. you're not like trying to go vegetarian necessarily. You're just stre- right. stretching that to feed more people or more days or whatever. Well, and when I had five kids, you know, at home, that wasn't just a nice idea. That was necessary because if I made chili, for example, like a, like a, not even just like a ground beef chili, but like steak chili or, um, or if I made stew with, you know, stew meat, like stew meat doesn't really go that far. And if you make it to the, to the recipe you find that's made for four people, (laughs) you will spend $10 and have enough chili for, or enough, you know, stew for everyone to have for four people to have one bowl. Well, that's not going to work for my family. Right. So I would end up using the same amount of meat in the recipe and, ch- and like doubling everything else. And I would chop it up really small, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yes, I guess I've done some of that. Um, uh, something I think I do more often now because we're just more of a protein eating family and I'm specifically trying to eat more protein in my diet is I am trying to get better about learning how to cook other cuts of meat than I usually would. And that's, this is something I'm not just trying now. Like I've been doing this for years. It's a very gradual skill set. Like it's Mm -hmm. very like over the years, I've gone from only being able to cook like, um, chicken breast to being really good with chicken thighs and, um, split like the, you know, where you buy the whole breast and it's Mm -hmm. like split, um, or a whole chicken, like things like that. Or, um, instead of just knowing how to pork, uh, cook a pork tenderloin, I could do a pork loin roast, which is a different cut, a pork shoulder. I don't really like pork chops, but if they were on a really good sale, maybe I would do that. I've gotten much more adept at figuring out the difference between different cuts of beef, which mm-hmm. took me a while because well, a lot of them- got a quarter cow, right? I We've did get a quarter cow, yeah. yeah. And a lot of them, like, I guess I really didn't understand for a long time, like, what the difference was between, like, a brisket and a roast or, like, a, um, like a Swiss steak, a round steak. And like a steak you'd actually order at a restaurant, like those right. things I had to kind of learn and I'm still not perfect. Um, my next thing will be fish. Like I really do not have a good handle on cooking any kinds of seafood except salmon and shrimp. And I'd like to get better at that. But I, I also think there's so much you can do with um, frozen meats, with frozen seafood, canned seafood. Mm-hmm. Like you can make really good tuna burgers or salmon patties. Like all of those things are available. and you don't have to buy, you don't have to spend butcher case prices. Mm-hmm. So, so, so for me, it hasn't really been like reducing the protein so much as just like learning more so that I can be more creative and shop the cheaper cuts. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what about weekly sales flyers? So I admit I have no, like very little experience here and shop being a Trader Joe's, Trader Joe's ha- does have their fearless flyer where they like talk about what's new in the store. And like, I don't feel like it's really a sale though. Maybe Trader Joe's um, fans will correct me there. Maybe. I mean, I think I, I know prices do go up and down at Trader Joe's just like everywhere else, but do you look at those weekly sales 
flyers? So this is something that when, when I was like a newer mom or I guess a newer, like setting up housekeeping, young married person, I was very like religious. Like I would get it in the paper Mm -hmm. or in the mail and I would like spread it out and write down all the prices and calculate how much I thought it was going to be. Well, over the years, I've just gotten really good at shopping. You know, I've got a lot of experience under my belt. So what I tend to do now is I will go in, if I'm going into the store in person, I go in with like somewhat of a plan where I kind of know what, what my purchases are going to look like or what I'm hoping to make for the week. And then when you walk into the grocery store, they mount, they post them on the wall. Right. Yeah. 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 And so I just go right to the meat and the produce and the dairy, because those are the three things I'm going to get anyway. And the prices swing the most, like what I decide about those three things, is really going to shape the rest of it. Mm-hmm. The rest of the stuff, like, okay, if I get to the cereal aisle and one cereal's on sale and the other one's not, I'll just get the one that's on sale. It's mm-hmm. I'm not, it's not that big of a deal, but you know, the meat might dictate the, might dictate the protein or vice mm-hmm. versa. So yeah. Um, and I'll be like, Ooh, okay. I didn't realize this was going to be on sale. Cool. And the way my grocery store that I usually shop is you, you go through this like serpentine situation that takes you past all the expensive stuff first. So you go past the, the deli case and the fancy cheese and all that stuff and through the, past the bakery. And, um, then you end up in produce and it kind of winds through and then you're at meat. So as long as I don't forget, like it's really hard to forget between produce and meat because they're right close to each other. Mm-hmm. So I just do those two things first. I go and I hit, you know, the produce and maybe something is on sale. But when I get there and look at it, it doesn't look good. I don't want it anymore. So now I have to change. And then I, and then if I get to the meat and I'm not happy with the meat selection to go with the pro, the produce I bought, it's not, I can still go back and switch it out. Right. I'm not that far away. Right. And then everything else just kind of falls into place. So, so yes. And when I'm, if I'm shopping shipped or doing any online, I just do the internet version of that. Like they make it really easy to see what's on sale. Mm-hmm. And that often does change my decision in the moment. Or I'll look at my past. Like it'll say things you've bought before. It, it makes it really mm-hmm. nice and easy to do that. And I'll just skim through and be like, oh, that's on sale. That's on sale. That's on sale. And then those are the things I pick. So yes, I yeah. do. But not the way I used to. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Okay. Anything, any other tips that we didn't cover? First of all, this, um, this little swipe through from the budget mom was super helpful. And again, we will link that up so you can all go follow her on the Insta. Um, but anything else that didn't come out, Megan, as we went through the budget mom's tips? Yeah. These are two things that I think, even if they're not part of your like weekly routine, just as a periodic refresh or reset, it's a really good idea to do both of those, these things. So One is um, periodic. And by periodic, I mean like quarterly or every six months. I am not talking like weekly or even monthly, but like a complete freezer and pantry inventory and clean out. Yeah. All the way. There is going to be stuff lurking in there that you have no idea. Um, Some of it might still be usable, some not, but it still gives you information, like useful information that you need to have. And you might be like, wow, I have three um, containers of cinnamon. So it looks like there's going to be a lot of cinnamon mm-hmm. in my future. Right. Um, getting really, and just kind of on that note, when I was talking about getting good at like subbing proteins or learning how to cook with new proteins, yeah. like learning how to sub spices is also mm-hmm. a really good idea. Like basically learning how to on the fly, take that stuff that you find when you're doing your clean out and actually use it. Yeah. Th- those are skills worth having because not everything has to go to waste that you think. And if you've been doing like um, HelloFresh or some other kind of, you know, meal service, mm-hmm. you've probably got little packets of seasonings and little packets of grains and things like that in your pantry. You can use those. Yeah. Like you're allowed to use those. All you have to do is kind of have an idea of how they taste. Try it out. Maybe you're not going to love it, but, um, you know, you might, and you might find something like a pleasant surprise. At the very worst, maybe you're going to have one meal that isn't, isn't amazing. Okay. Well, and it's so satisfying <laughs> to have, I see people do that with their beauty products too. And I think I mentioned mm-hmm. it last week. That it's like a buy nothing challenge. Like, let me just use, like you said, it might not be the best meal I've ever had, but there's something so satisfying about using what you've got in, before going out and purchasing something else. Yeah. I do do my fridge resets about weekly, mm-hmm. you know, to me, like your fridge is harboring things you need to deal with. <laughs> like, we don't want secrets there. No, no. And you need to deal with that sooner rather than later. And, and sometimes there's pleasant surprises in there. Like sometimes you shove something out of the way and you're like, whoa, <laughs> like, 
like, this is still good. I forgot it existed. Or I remember that fancy cheese. One of the kids took it out of the cheese drawer and stuck it somewhere else. And I forgot I had it. It's still there. Like, what a surprise. I, and I, I always get like, it's delighted. It's delightful to me. It mm-hmm. also makes me kind of irritated when I throw things away, when I realize something got missed and didn't get, you know, used to the fullest, but still better to know that mm-hmm. than to let it just kind of rot away in the back of your fridge. So yeah. I, I do recommend the fridge clean out like much more, much, much more often. Yeah. Um, and then one last thing, and this is just, again, I'm not always doing super bargain shopping. Like I'm not always going to places like Costco or Aldi. I don't have a Trader Joe's, but that would be like the, you know, your version of an Aldi. But every now and then it's great to do that because it can really give you a great perspective about how much more or less you could be spending. Like yeah. when you just, even if it's just once every couple of months, whenever I go shop at Aldi, I'm like, wow food can really be a lot cheaper than what I'm currently spending. And then it becomes the, it's like, it's okay to make the decision to shop differently for a lot of reasons, whether Mm -hmm. it's like supporting a local store or because they have versions of things that you like better at your supermarket or because you're in a like time is money kind Mm -hmm. of a place in life where you just don't have the time or whatever, but it's good to keep making that choice consciously over and over. I agree. And not just fall into it. And that's where those reset shopping trips really help me. If I go to Aldi and I have to try really hard to spend more than 150 bucks, like I almost can't do it. Then I'm like, oh, okay. Right. So then what does this teach me about how I'm currently shopping? And do, should I change things or am I cool with the way I'm doing it now? And that's fine too. I so agree with that. And I would say it works at both ends of the spectrum. So like, for example, I have had a real chip on my shoulder about Whole Foods for a long time. Um, and then the more we used to live kind of near one and the more I'd stop in there for one thing or another, I'd see like, oh, okay. There actually are, there are the, their generics or there are certain product categories that are no different than what I'm spending elsewhere. So I, mm-hmm. I actually think that just occasionally mixing it up, even though at the beginning of this episode, I talked about it's helpful for my bottom line to do the same thing every week. I think I totally agree that opening your eyes to what's happening in other retailers can be really useful. And um, I pulled this blog post from the Financial Diet, which was another one of Sarah Lindbergh's recommendations um, that I will link up. But they did like a four-week grocery challenge where the same writer, now I do think this is a writer without a family, so shopping for like a one or two person household, but went to four different stores. I think it was Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, Aldi, and was one more that is, is around everywhere. Um, and just did their weekly grocery shopping in four different places and like blogged about it. And I thought it was fascinating to look at. So yeah, I love those like, like real life experiences. Like when people do things and the things she bought would not work for my family. So it wasn't so much about the individual things, but just what is the experience of going through those different retailers? And, and like you said, we sometimes, um, need the reminder that price points vary widely in both directions. And and sometimes even our perception isn't quite right. Well, and one more thing to add to that too. I think that sometimes your, your gut will be important, like important data for you. And so let's say you go to the store and you're perfectly happy with it. Like say it's whole foods for you. I haven't been, I haven't set foot in a whole foods in a really long time. So I would be really speaking out of turn to say anything good or bad, but, um, let's just say that the cost of granola bars at Whole Foods or like lunchbox snacks. Mm-hmm. Every time you go into Whole Foods, when you get to the lunchbox snacks part of, of the trip, you're just irritated <laughs> and like you're mad because it seems so exorbitant. Okay. Well, maybe then you go to Aldi and you drop 300 bucks on all year, like yeah. all of the snacks you will need all year. And then you don't go down that aisle at Whole Foods anymore. Yeah. That's acceptable. Like you can, you can take what works yep. out of a store experience and not shop the other aisles. You can avoid all of those middle aisles entirely. Yep. And do that shopping somewhere else. Yep. Online. I yeah. mean, we have so many options. So that might be the best tip we've offered in 61 <laughs> minutes of recording this episode. <laughs> no, that's really, really smart, actually. Like, um, yeah, I love it. Well, good. Because that's all I got. I, well, I didn't mean to be so surprised <laughs> that it was a smart tip. No, I'm done now, though. That's it. <laughs> that's, it. that's the episode, <laughs> friends. Um, no, really, we are done. Uh, this was really fun. If you missed last week's episode, go back and listen to that. We went through room by room, like I said, and offered money-saving ideas for the rest of your house. Um, and on the blog this week, we have a post um, from Joanna 
that is also kind of about financial stuff. She talks about sitting down with her spouse regularly and how they look at their finances together and how that has been helpful to them in their marriage and in their budgeting. And so we want you to go check that out as well. Everything, when we talk about the blog, it's always at themomhour.com slash blog. And we will link up Joanna's post in the show notes for this episode as well. And Megan, we're coming up on Valentine's Day. So what are we going to be talking about on Sunday this week? Sarah's birthday. Yeah, we're going to talk for an hour about how my birthday is on Valentine's Day. No, we're talking about your dating life. <laughs> we are. Well, it's not even really a dating life anymore to speak of. It's like a, it's like the um, non-married, old-married couple life. But I know people are curious, and it seems like a good time to just do a little update about my special man friend. I love it. So that will be this Sunday's More Than Mom uh, coming up on Sunday, and it'll be really fun. So talk to everybody then. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com.